Support the Bartholomew Town Podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. On today's episode, my sit-down conversation with Providence, Rhode Island Mayor Jorge Alorza. Democrat Jorge Alorza was overwhelmingly re-elected to a second term as mayor of Providence this past November. Our conversation focused on the mayor's backstory and experiences and how they inform his decision-making process and policy priorities. Instagrammers go behind the scenes of this very program. You may follow us at Bartholomew Town Podcast for all of my latest content. Okay, without further ado, let's get you to my conversation from the loft with Providence Mayor Jorge Alorza. All right, so we are here with Providence Mayor Jorge Alorza. Thank you so much for your time, Mayor. Well, thanks for having me, Bill. I, uh, I appreciate the work that you do, and I look forward to continuing to connect to see how we can reach uh, all the voters throughout the city and state and make sure we're... Uh, creating the kind of city that all of us feel proud of being a part of. Absolutely. And that, I think that's been sort of one of the things you've been championing is that everyone has an interactive, I guess, a stake in the city, yeah. you know, regardless of which neighborhood you're in or how disconnected you may have felt in the past from the city. That's yeah. kind of the idea, right? It is. Um, you know, I'm just starting my second term right now. So I think naturally it's a moment where you do some reflecting. And, uh, you know, now in my fifth year in office, Every time that I look back and uh, rediscover what the role of mayor entails, I always find that I take an even more and more expansive view of what the role is. You know, and I, I look at some of the challenges that we have in, in our society, even if they're not the traditional kinds of issues that mayors talk about, there's nothing stopping us from playing a lead role in them. And I'll tell you something that's been on my mind lately a great deal is, you know, you know, if you look in tangible and concrete terms, um, almost everyone alive today is doing has more stuff than any of our ancestors has, have ever had. So you would think that you know we'd be just lamping back, chilling, enjoying our lives, and living as happily as can be. When in fact, the opposite is true. You look at deaths of despair throughout the country; suicides are up. Do you know that more people die of suicides today than violent crime, war, and terrorism combined? Um, So suicides are up, anxiety, depression is up, people feel lonely, and people are feeling really angry. And, uh, you know, I think that what's missing, even though we have all kinds of stuff, meaning and purpose in our lives, that's missing. So I've been thinking a lot, how do we as local leaders, how do we invest in the kinds of things or support the kinds of businesses, support the kinds of institutions and organizations that bring that kind of connectedness and meaning and purpose to our lives. So, yes, it is about creating the kind of city that we all want to be a part of, making sure that everyone feels included, um, but thinking deeply about what's possible in this role as mayor and making sure, for at least me personally, that you know I don't let this opportunity go by while I'm in office without using this awesome platform that we have to get to the issues that really matter to folks. Can you just give us the Reader's Digest version of of your story, you know, through your judgeship, I suppose, before you entered public office. Yeah. So, you know, of all places, you know, I think it's important to start at the beginning. Um, my parents came to this country. They were undocumented immigrants. They came to this country 
fleeing what was a war-torn, uh, war-torn uh, Guatemala in the 1970s and came because they um, heard about the American dream and believed that by working hard and playing by the rules, they could give their kids a better life. And so I grew up in a household that believes that anything is possible. It just requires hard work and commitment. And so based, um, you know, raised with those kind of values as a basis, as a foundation, um, my parents always focused on education and hard work. I didn't always follow their guidance. As any teenager, you know, you kind of, you, you go astray. And uh, uh, a big moment in my life came when I graduated from high school. I got rejected from every university that I applied to. So here I was, 17 years old. I had always thought I was some hot stuff. Um, and then reality just bangs me in the face. And uh, there I had to uh, just take a cold, hard look inside and realize that I was letting myself down and letting my family down. So I decided that for the first time in my life, I was going to bust my tail. I was going to work hard um, and show the world my best. I enrolled at CCRI. Then I got uh, accepted into URI. Uh, in a special program that helped inner-city kids get into college. Uh, talent development? Talent development, yes. Yep. And uh, worked really hard and ended up graduating first in my class as an accountant. So, you know, here I was. You know, now I had gotten my life together from an education standpoint. And uh, I went off to New York City. You know, I, I was too big for my britches. You know, I wanted to get out of Rhode Island. I wanted something bigger and better. So I went to New York, and I worked for a big consulting accounting firm. And then when I was there, another really critical moment in my life occurred that I got a call in the middle of the night. My dad told me that one of my best friends had just been murdered here in Providence. And uh, I remember that night. Um, I stayed up, and I cried, and I decided that I was going to leave New York behind, and I wanted to be in Providence. Didn't know what I wanted to do, but I know I wanted to commit my life to public service. So that's what brought me back to Providence, and uh, you know I uh, decided to go to law school, uh, graduated from law school, and became a legal aid attorney. I did housing work, helping people who were getting evicted from their homes. Then uh, I became a, a law professor. While I was a law professor, I created the Latino Policy Institute. I always swore off that I would become an elected official. I had a very facile view of things. I thought, you know, all politicians... They're phony, they're corrupt, they can't be trusted. But then what happened is in 2008, I fell in love with, uh, with Barack Obama. So that was the first presidential campaign that I had really, really strongly, closely followed. Um, I fell in love with him, and I saw that good, honest people can do well in politics, uh, people that you can believe in. So that's when I started thinking, huh, maybe, maybe one day down the line I'll, I'll take a look. And, uh, you know, as, as fate would have it, uh, Mayor Cicilline at the time appointed me to the Providence Housing Court. And then when Mayor Tavares stepped down from, uh, I'm sorry, when he decided that he uh, would uh, run for governor, um, I decided to throw my hat into the ring uh, for mayor. And even though I've changed positions throughout my career, um, I, I feel as though I'm still doing the same public service that I committed my life to when um, when I found out about my friend's death, um, that public service has taken different shapes. But I feel as though you know the the life's work still remains the same, which is doing whatever I can to improve 
our community and make make the world a better place for everyone around us. Yeah, driven by that one mission. Um, how does that tie into the challenges that Providence faces right now? Certainly, many of which you inherited, most of them, of course. Um, but how now do you use that experience to manage Providence in a way that you're drawing upon your experience in New York and more than anything, your public service, as you alluded to? Mm-hmm. I think that I think it influences everything that we do. Like, for example, so, you know, I I decided to run for office because I wanted to get things done. You know, I'm not here to be a caretaker. I'm not here to just sit in this office and pat myself in the back. Um, uh, um, uh, you know, over the next eight years, I'm here to get stuff done. And so from the moment that I took office, the, uh, uh, sort of the culture, the sense that we have in the, in our office is we're running out of time. We have so much to do and so little time to do it. So up and down the administration, you know, my, my, my calendar, my, my schedule every day is as packed as I believe any mayor in the country. We work end to end, and uh, you know that's a standard that I set from the very top. And my entire team is committed to their work in this way. We got a lot to do, um, and uh, and we're not letting a day go by without making progress. So certainly that's 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 one way that it influences. The other way that it influences is, you know, you know I've always felt like an outsider, growing up as an immigrant. Um, you know, I was born here, but growing up in an immigrant household, you. Um, you know, you, you don't always feel welcome. You don't always feel accepted. There's a world out there that you're not always a part of. And, uh, you know, I feel as though I've spent my entire adult life um, uh, trying, to, um, uh, 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 trying to connect different worlds that otherwise wouldn't intersect. So both socially but also professionally, bringing people together so that, you know, random atoms collide and that's where the magic happens. Um, so, so that's always been really important for me. And then always making sure that with the work that we do and uh, that uh, we have equity in mind where people who are traditionally and historically left behind, that they're being brought into the fold. So if you look at my priorities, my priorities around education, my priorities around workforce development, around abandoned properties, around parks throughout our city, um, it's always with an eye towards now, how do we make people feel included in the work that's ha- in the progress that's happening throughout the city, and uh, not only included, but you know, how do we make them feel as though their city and their mayor is fighting for them because they have a place here? So, um, you know, in many deep ways, my background, my history, you know, influences you know everything that we do in City Hall. You were ahead of uh, the governor by about a week in announcing universal pre-K. Um, appointing uh, former Representative Regenberg as a special advisor, overseeing affordable housing in many ways. Mm-hmm. These are practical challenges that all you have to do is drive from Elmwood down Broad Street, downtown, or up to College Hill, whatever it may be, to see the effects of economic disparity throughout this city. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say that that, broadly speaking, is the number one thing that's on your mind when you look out right now? I know economic development is key, but in terms of today is that something that really is on your mind um at least towards the top of the list absolutely so you know unfortunately providence consistently ranks in the top five in the country for income inequality i mean think about that there are thousands of cities in the country we're in the top five for income inequality we have the haves and the have-nots 
And especially in a moment like this, where there's so much anger and divisiveness in our communities, I see my job as uh, not only creating a uh, collective, a cohesive sense of our community, our one providence, uh, but also uh, working proactively to make sure that people who have left, been left behind over the years um, are able to enjoy the progress that we're seeing in the city. So, so for example, sometimes I'm in the south side, and people on the south side tell me, you know what, the east side gets everything. Sometimes I'm on the east side, and folks on the east side tell me, you know, people on the south side, they get everything. And every time that I hear that, um, I always make it a point to, um, to remind folks that, you know, we can't allow ourselves to be divided along these lines. We are one city. Uh, whether we like it or not, hopefully we like it, um, but we are one city, and the only way that we're going to make the collective progress that we want to see is by continuing to think of ourselves in that way and working in that way. We're stronger when we're together. So how do we build in inst- and, and, and institutionalize these systems where we do create that one community? So, you know, for example, the way that we've been doing that, for example, is um, if you look at all the initiatives that we've rolled out and the work that we've done, whether it's around education with our all-in summit, engaging the community and bringing them in to help us form, shape the work that we do, and then involve them in the process afterwards, Uh, whether it's investing $400 million along with the state, or it's a state investment, but a $400 million and given shape to this infrastructure improvement around 610. Hundreds of people who uh, participated in those visioning sessions, you know, whether it's uh, PVD Fest and rolling out a 300-foot table and you know, breaking bread with 300 people or having a, 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 wide, a citywide festival where 100,000 people come down, how do we always find an opportunity to engage the broader community uh, to um, help shape the work that we do. So, so, that's, that, so, so, so that's key. And then the other piece of it is also substantively in the, in the initiatives that we take on. You know, how do we, how do we, um, how do we um, um, institute changes that are going to lift people up um, that have traditionally been left behind? And I think the most important way to do that is through our education system. You know, the most valuable asset that we have in our community is our people. How are we investing in them? So I set a goal that I want us to have universal pre-K. We know that kids are already behind by the time they enter kindergarten. So let's start a year before. Let's make this investment so that every kid is ready to learn by the time they enter kindergarten. The investments that we're making in summer learning, summer jobs, summer camps, making sure that we're taking advantage of all the time that kids have to continue learning and growing. So let's invest strategically in that way. Office of Economic Opportunity, you know, we're helping entrepreneurs get their businesses off the ground. We know that, especially in the immigrant community, there are people that have incredible ideas, but because of language barriers, sometimes immigration barriers, they never start their own business. So we have a three-week, three-week free crash course. Excuse me, free three-week crash course where at the end they'll know exactly what they need to do to start their businesses. So we're investing in our people and uh, making sure that everyone feels that they're a part of what's happening. The last thing that I'll mention with this is that um, you know, with the progress that we've seen in Providence, now fortunately but unfortunately, we're seeing a crunch around housing. 
right? So it's great if you own housing, but if you're renting, you're definitely feeling the squeeze or if you're looking to purchase. So uh, uh, the city council has also identified this as, um, a, um, as a major, major priority. And so I look forward to working together to craft a comprehensive strategy throughout the city for housing, not just affordable housing. That's, this is an important distinction. It's not just about affordable housing because affordable housing, only a small percentage of tenants throughout the city have a, a um, affordability subsidy. We need to also address affordability for everyone who doesn't have a, a housing subsidy. And so we got to look at um, everything from, you know, what kind of uh, what kind of incentives are in our zoning ordinance. We have to look at what kind of services are available to people being evicted and displaced. We have to look at student housing and what kind of responsibility and requirements higher ed institutions have. Uh, we also have to look at, from an affordable housing standpoint, how much are we contributing and how much are we uh, uh, producing as a city of affordable housing every year. So we have to come up with a comprehensive strategy. And the reason why this is so important is because as our city continues on this upswing, we want to make sure that this progress is felt by every one of our residents. And it would be an awful shame if Providence continues on this rise, but the people who have lived here, grown up here, and are most invested in Providence aren't able to partake in that progress. Right. The gentrification train essentially pushes everyone further out and, and potentially you know, you have a situation like Brooklyn or in many cases Newport now. I think Providence is is ripe for, we were talking earlier off air about the megapolis, if you will, with um, Pawtucket and Central Falls, potentially the train contributing to an expansion of the city, if you will. But that's not Providence proper. That doesn't keep people renting or living in the city and, you know, purchasing homes here. Do you feel like Providence proper needs to focus on retaining its residents now or do you are you comfortable with people living in the region but working in the city well i mean i i want to keep people in the city <laughs> i definitely want to keep our folks in the city and uh, i don't know there's there, there's an identity that comes along with it uh, my fiance and i we go back and forth on this all the time i grew up here in providence i lived my entire life in providence i could never see myself leaving this city um, she grew up in central falls uh, she uh, she loves Central Falls, is active uh, in that community, and it was a hard decision for her to to move to Providence so we could raise our child. Um, but I'm sure a big part of her identity is still uh, connected to Central Falls, and so I would hate for people who, you know, have their identity connected to Central Falls, plus their extended community right here in our neighborhoods in Providence or connected to connected to the city. I would hate for them to have to leave, um, you know, of all, you know, can you imagine, I mean, that level of um, unfairness and injustice, you've lived here your entire life, your parents, your grandparents have lived here, and, uh, you know, you've done what you can to improve our community, but your community has been, quote unquote, improved so much that you can no longer afford to live here. That's not right. So I want to keep our people here. Yep. And there's no one solution. There's no one thing that we can do. Instead, we need a comprehensive long-term approach so that we can be strategic and, uh, and, and we can be effective to make sure that people who live here get to partake in the progress that we see.
Yeah, I completely agree. I, I'm with you. It's not good enough to say, well, you can live in the Providence area. No. You know, come no, on. No. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, the truth is, too, I mean, the funny thing is that if you live your entire life here in Rhode Island, you kind of lose perspective. I mean, there are entire right. cities that are bigger than b- bigger than our whole state. Right. Go to Dallas and drive through that. It'll take an hour and a half. So. Exactly. Right. <laughs> there are there are cities that are, you know, Dallas is twice as big as uh, population wise as the state of Rhode Island. Right. Um, so, you know, so so we got to keep a little bit of perspective. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, there 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 is something special about being from and living in Providence and uh you know, I, I would hate for someone to, you know, have to leave Providence against their will. If they want to be here, then it's our it's incumbent upon us that we do what we can so that they can continue to be here. PVD Fest, mm. the arts in general. I know there's a, fa- a somewhat famous Projo shot of you with a guitar as you enter <laughs> law school. I, I think yes, there's the entertainment aspect of it, but just the value it brings to the community to have a thriving arts community within the community, the connectivity that will emerge from that. Is that why you've put so much value in it and why we have PVD Fest? Well, I'll tell you the story behind behind PVD Fest. And first of all, I, I got to set the record straight. I don't have a creative bone in my body. <laughs> but maybe because of that, I've always appreciated artists so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, t- to me, you know, the, the highest, like, form of life or life form in the in the universe is is the artist um so i i've always had a deep appreciation for them i think uh, it wasn't a, a guitar is probably a tambourine <laughs> <laughs> which gives you a scale of my musical gifts right um so the pvd came about so a good friend of mine we uh, we used to go down to new orleans every year this is way 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 back in the day we used to go down for jazz fest oh yeah legendary yeah, um, until it got too big. Now nobody goes anymore. <laughs> it's, it's become corporatized, like Austin City Limits, and hopefully not the Folk Festival. Right. Here. So uh, we used to go down every year and have a legendary time. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, of course, it was, it was awesome. You have a great time. But, but it was also a spiritual experience. You know, you, you, you realize that we're in this rat race up here in the Northeast. And you go down and you just, you know, spend... You spend you spend some time enjoying um, other people's company, and um, and so so I so I would enjoy and look forward to the trip every year, and we would always uh, talk with my friend Jeff that you know what we need something like this in Providence. Providence is funky. Uh, we we have enough of an artist community. There's no reason why we can't have something similar. So then so then we've had that, and then for a couple of years we had sound session. In Providence, and I always love Sound Session. You know, shout out to Don King and you know that whole crew that brought brought Sound Session. That first sparked the idea of what you know a big citywide festival can look like here in Providence. So I always had that in mind. And so when I campaigned, I said, you know what, we need to we need to just dive in. Uh, we can do it. Um, I made it a priority as soon as I took office, and I will always say that. The, the only reason why PVD Fest has existed and why we have it is because we have such an amazing arts community here in Providence. That's the only reason why. What we've done in City Hall is we've created the tent, 
that they all fit within and we're the conveners uh, but that raw talent already exists and so we, we we simply curate all of that amazing talent that 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 exists out here so you know we've been we've been excited by you know the the way that the community has embraced pvd fest and how it's grown every single year uh, but it really comes down to inspiration from um, New Orleans and Sound Session, and then uh, um, you know making sure that uh, we uh, we lead with our values at City Hall, and if we support the arts, then uh, you know let's put some time and resources into it so that at least for one long weekend every year, we are celebrating our artists and uh, bringing people together to enjoy each other's company, involving dancing in the street and uh, just an all-around good time. So that's what PVD Fest is. We're entering our fifth year this year. I think it's going to be even bigger and better this year than in the past. Uh, but um, um, you know, we want to continue to engage the entire community so that it takes root and it's here long after I'm gone. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing event that has that potential to be a legacy event, sort of like South by Southwest. You know one thing about Mayor Lorza? If, uh, if there's one thing, he knows how to throw a party. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, we're going to throw a great party. The Pro Joe, frankly, it seems like it's going to be packing up shop pretty soon. They, mm. you know, they announced they have 14 reporters and there was another buyout offered. They called you, regarding the Fane Tower, ostensibly called you an idiot. Are you bothered by having such a small media market here and the fact that many of these players, as they're kind of shrinking and on their way out, um, have taken a lot of shots at your administration? Does that bother you that... Um, I mean, you do have a Dan McGowan out there and, and others who do thorough work and and fair work. But it just seems like from the outside looking in, it's it's been a little bit unfair in, in their assessment of your administration at times. So let me make a let me make a couple of points. Um, the first one is that I think every politician in the country will tell you that the media has been unfair to them. <laughs> <laughs> You know, sure. if, if they yeah. could only see. Um, so I, I, I think every politician yeah. thinks that. Um, but, you know, you got to recognize that, you know, that's the role that the media plays, right? It's their job to be skeptical. And they have to follow stories. Sometimes they have to sniff them out where there doesn't seem to be a story. So I don't begrudge um, any of the media outlets for being tough and for and for, and for leaning into their coverage, um, so um, so um, so you know I I I appreciate good hard reporting. Um, you did mention they they ran a, you know the Projo ran a, an editorial where they use language like stupidity and idiocy. You know I think that that's a I think that that's a symptom that we're seeing across the country of um, you know the 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 breakdown of civility. Um, and it's affecting every aspect of our society. And it seems that, you know, to stand out now, nowadays, you have to be sensational. So that was disappointing to see. I, I think that's unnecessary. That's, that's beneath the, um, that's beneath their, you know, the, you should have uh, standards of, of professionalism that you don't, you don't have to, you know, um, uh, 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 muddy yourself up in that way to make a, to make a point. Um, you know, with respect to what's going to happen with the with the Providence Journal, I, I actually don't know. I, I don't know the details, by, I, I, so I can't comment on any of that. I will say, in defense of the journal, that um, I do think that it's bad for our community if we don't have, you know, a leading paper of record in that way. 
the Providence Journal has always been has always been that publication. I think that we need strong journalism. We need a strong Providence Journal, or you know, or or an alternative. Um, and uh, and I think and I think it's harmful for our for our society, um, and in particular for our political culture, if you don't have you know that strong paper of record. So I hope that. You know they uh, that they've hit bottom already, and now it's and now it's growth. Um, so you know, I wish them. You know, I genuinely wish them well because I think it's best for our community. Um, you know, for all for all of the different outlets out there. You know, I think that you know, so long as they're practicing um, uh, their journalism with high standards of professionalism um, and you know high standards, um, regardless of how hard they hit at us. Now we we as politicians can't begrudge that because they're doing their job. Um, journalism has journalism is the the fourth estate or fifth estate, whatever they're whatever they're <laughs> called. What is it? I think it's the fourth. The right? fourth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, journalism is the fourth estate, and they're yep. absolutely vital for for our society. Mm-hmm. So I hope um, I hope they survive, and I hope they and I hope they thrive, um, and they con- and they continue with their hard hitting journalism because. You know, um, as a class, uh, we politicians, um, you know, need to be held, you know, need to be held to the same standard that we put ourselves to. Um, and, uh, and the papers do that in, a, in an important way. Hey, thanks for listening. That's all the time we have for today. But I'll be back on Friday with a brand new episode. Until then, I'm Bill Bartholomew. We'll talk soon. Discover the dozens of conversations I've had on the Bartholomew Town podcast with Rhode Island politicians, media members, artists, and beyond at BartholomewTown.com, RIPodcast.com, or on Apple Podcasts.